it's all about uh, learning and staying on the learning curve. I think that's maybe also uh, the best lesson you can give to your best advice you can give to your children. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, because uh, I think there there's so many uh, good books around, so many good sources of information. Welcome back to Top Traders Unplugged, where the best traders in the world come to share their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Before we begin today's conversation, remember to keep two things in mind. All the discussion we'll have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their product before you make investment decisions. Now, let's rejoin the conversation with your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup-Larsen. Market and close TAS, block trades, that, that I think give you uh, an interesting uh, new dimension uh, versus the very traditional volume and open interest type right. of analysis. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So once you've opened a position, you've entered a position with a certain size, can that size change or will it only only change when you close the position and you get a new signal? No, that, that, that size can, can change first if you get stopped out that na- naturally, but also if you are reaching some partial profit taking based on the different scenarios of the uh, uh, expansion of the market, if you are speaking from the long side, or you have those several st- standard deviation type of move in your favor right. where you think that's the, the the best way to maximize your profit and you exit everything, you go to the sideline, but also you can have different intermediate steps based on the shape of the evolution where basically you can have a model that transforms himself from a short-term breakout model to basically a smaller short-term trend, i.e. when you're uh, after a breakout happen and you reach a specific level where you think that the probability of mean reverting or observing further expansion, those uh, probability are equal then that's where you take your partial profit taking and it's in the second part where you are re-engineering your money management in order to consider that now you add enough PL to be reinvested as a buffer to turn your model from a breakout to a trend model. So that's also an avenue where you can have the the, the model that stay as they are and the one that are where that position is evolving to 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 the next stage and that's where the position sizing happen after mainly that that intermediate or partial profit taking got it got it could it also change as a function of volatility that your system experiences uh, there will be a recalibration of the of the token based on the evolution of the volatility during the life of the position right but if volatility declines, the position will not be increased. Okay, so you're not adding to an existing position, no, increasing no, we your risk? We, we do not. We do not. Okay. We do not because as we are mid to long term traders and we have filters, as we are very picky in our participation in the market, it means that if we are adding to an existing position and there's a sort of... Uh, change in, in, in the momentum, uh, we will have degraded our entry price by adding to that position that will force us to adjust uh, the money management to get a, a tighter uh, protection to, mm. the, to, the, to that uh, increased position mm-hmm. by increment. And that would make us more vulnerable about being stopped out in, in case volatility start to increase at sure. that stage. Sure. 
Very good. One interesting thing I came across is, I mean, you've worked inside larger firms, Millennium, Stable Asset Management, and I was just wondering, what do you think is advantageous of that approach? What is What are the good things about that? Uh, so I, I think that uh, they are very different fr from each other. When you are in a sovereign pension fund in Canada, you really uh, have access to a very large pool of capitals, computer and brain powers. Mm -hmm. And that enables us to really build the strategy. And then you uh, are moving to a firm like Millennium where your recipe has to be uh, ready in place and you've been hired and allocated capital to manage the money in a certain way. So I think where you have a lot of room for innovation, such like uh, at the Caisse de Dépôt et Placement mm -hmm. du Québec, we had to be extremely disciplined uh, from a, a risk management standpoint at Millennium. And then uh, stable asset management was, uh, as you mentioned them, uh, they have been our partners that uh, allow us to launch in an independent format when we decide to spin off from Millennium and uh, become uh, basically Arctic Blue Capital. Mm -hmm. And Stable has been a, a great partner uh, and told us everything about uh, marketing, launching, launching your own firm until Stable Asset Management sold their share to uh, H2O Asset mm -hmm. Management. Uh, and Stable is now a, a really keep on going specialized on seeding and uh, uh, helping young firms to, in perfect world, to blossom. Yeah, and, uh, you know, <laughs> that's a very... Season varies. <laughs> Good, great. Yeah. How many people are you at Arctic Blue? So at Arctic Blue, we have three pure investment professionals, plus we have a pool of quant developers. Mm -hmm. And we are uh, therefore purely focusing on uh, uh, investment and research. So all the non-investment function, which are legal, compliance, middle office, back office, risk supervision, distribution, we benefit from uh, the H2O platform and H2O today is managing 26 billion euros in different type of vehicles. So, and they are on themselves. Uh, they, 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 their main shareholders, majority shareholder is uh, Natixis Group. So for all offshore products, we're benefiting from H2O distribution. And on all usage products, we're benefiting from Natixis distribution. So that, that right. allows us to really purely focusing on, uh, on uh, investment and research. Great. With uh, my main partner, Philippe, We've been uh, uh, working with him for uh, 11 years now since Canada. He used to be at Norton Networks mm -hmm. before. And a third gentleman joined us from a ManHL implementation group. And then we have the Quant Development Group. Great, thanks. So we've touched on your commodities program. And we've noted that I think in August of this year, you've launched an equities program. We'd like to learn more. Well, thank you for the opportunity. So back to the journey, the equity program was uh, launching in, in Canada. We were reporting to the CIO office and clearly uh, the pension fund had a long only uh, aspect and exposure to the beta. We are in second part of 2007. Valuation of market is clearly a bit high, but uh, it's quite difficult to be fully contrarian at that level. But uh, the need for protection start to become uh, quite obvious for many, many market participants. So when we developed our model and with a very uh, 
equal uh, allocation between the different styles for commodities, we looked at mid to long term and longer type of uh, horizon for, for equities. And we found that short term breakouts tend to be correlated with the trend. And we found that on very long expansion of the equity market, really the main value, the alpha generation, was the ability to identify reversal patterns that were most of the time more powerful than expected at the beginning. So we looked at the same recipe than for commodities. We looked at longer type of horizon. And this time we've been overweighting the contrarian family of models up to 80%. So it can range from 60 right. to 80%, but okay. it's a very, very high weight. And we have a presence in the trend, which is capped and range between 20 and 40% maximum. And therefore, in a way, we are in the trend to finance our ability to be contrarian because basically being contrarian in an expansion so sure. the one we've been going through, it's yeah. the best recipe to die by a thousand cuts. And, <laughs> and, 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 and therefore, you also have the ability to capture different type of dynamic through the reversal model and many the, the midterm reversal model that tend to capture V-shaped type of move up or down. And we have no bias into the model. All the models are purely symmetric, long or short. We end up capturing a lot of uh, rotation of sectors in, in the US just because of the model being able to benefit from those abrupt change of direction between sectors, but not building position as long short. But when you look at a portfolio snapshot, you can observe a lot of long short position between the different sectors. And sectors historically have represented 45% of the allocation of the strategy. Mm. And on the other side, when you are looking at the, the trend and the contrarian positioning at global indices or country uh, specifics, we can capture some of the uh, geographical divergence. Uh, we look at uh, episode like in 2010 with the beginning of the Greek crisis in Europe and why the US market were doing uh, better. And more recently in, in February or more recently even in August, where we've seen opposite type of, uh, of trends with, uh, with US market printing all-time high. But when you look at Europe, we're very, very far away from all-time high. So yeah. we have Chinese market down nearly 20% on the year at a certain stage. You have a, a very long-term uh, bottoming out process in Japanese equities. So we, we are in an environment where also we observe a very nice type of, uh, of dispersion mm -hmm. we can capture through that multi-directional approach via the model. And therefore, we are trading 60 different indices and sectors. Uh, we do not trade single names. And the sectors you trade through ETFs and the indices through futures? Absolutely. Uh, most of ETS, in a, in a, in a, and that, that's for the uh, offshore version. And we have a, a usage version uh, where we have the ability to uh, replicate the, the position also through other instruments. And on those contrarian models, they're all driven by price action. There's not like you're not taking in news flow or any other sources. It's all just prices. So, so we take prices, implied vol, realized vol, and we are looking at convergence of divergence between those different data in order to, to identify regime change. And we have different type of reversal models. Some tend to capture over positioning 
and uh, for steep consolidations such as the one of February 2018. Right, sure. And, you know, I mean, a, a, a bull trend tend to, to die from its own excess, uh, like a bear trend. If you look at 2008, 2009, kind of pivotal, well, with a little help from the <laughs> Federal Reserve. And, and then you have the more uh, long-term uh, reversal model that capturing some structural change, like we mentioned previously in Japanese equities. But uh, yes, there is no news uh, considered as an input for the strategy. Mm-hmm. I was thinking just a little bit sort of, um, you mentioned that equities, they're a bit stretched perhaps at, the, at this time in, in, in the cycle and, and Europe has already started to maybe, um, you know, create some kind of, of downside momentum and, and, and Asia as well and certainly so, some parts of Asia. But th- th- those risks in general that, that I think we all feel that they are there in the markets, I was interested in just finding out a little bit about how you think about risk in general. You know, how do how would you define risk when you look at your strategy and and also maybe what 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 keeps you up at night? I mean, what are the things that you worry about when you look at at, at these uh, kind of strategies? But of course, your own perhaps in in particular. Well, that's a very deep question. Uh, well, we go uh, deep uh, here on yeah, Top Traders on Blogs. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, things that are really, uh, the, the, the concept of risk for the strategy to start with is really for us the ability of distributing uh, a maximum risk amount uh, in a fixed way uh, through the different models and through the different investment horizon and through the different underlying the different mm-hmm. markets. And therefore, even if some of that risk is not used by some model, it's not redistributed right. di- dynamically. So we work at a fixed risk uh, approach uh, between the, the different markets, which is also maybe making us things a little bit more uh, uh, looking at, at a different uh, angle than, sure. than some other market participants. Right. Uh, we look at uh, volatility as being a very good measure of the risk. And therefore, it is difficult to forecast or to get confirmation of sustainable uh, volatility regime versus the noise. Mm, and yeah. that also makes us more binary in terms of approach than, than, than incremental, mainly due to the computerization of the market and the distribution of the, of the volume, which is not as steady as it used to be uh, before. Therefore, for us, our risk approach uh, tends to generate up to 60% of the performance itself. Now, in terms of what keep us awake <laughs> at night, where well, I think we, we start to get, you know, I mean, even if we are all here, uh, seasoned uh, systematic traders, and therefore emotions are not part of the game, I do think that we start to observe and staying very humble here, potential conjunction of factors from uh, uh, geopolitical tension, trade wars, uh, Brexit, emerging crisis, mm. Uh, we we start to see a lot of potential event at a time where central banks are withdrawing the mm. liquidity that has been acting as a safety net under the market. Uh, so instead of extending that catalog of potential events, mm. uh, as systematic traders, I, I do think that we're good in an environment where we can capture and we long convexity, so where we can capture tail risk, where mm-hmm. we can uh, protect our investors and play a mission in the portfolio of our uh, investors. And therefore, I would think that most of investors have been driving on a motorway. Sure. 
a motorway where basically an entire generation of traders have only been uh, an investors driving in a motorway, forgetting that at the end of the motorway, there, there, there could be more of some uh, uh, narrow road, curvy roads. Huh. And uh, the risk we have is that US equities push even further up. And we are maybe in December 99, when NASDAQ was absolutely very overvalued, but you were going short in December 99. And uh, by March 2000, you were maybe you know, down 30, 40%. Sure. We, we have some emerging events that make think us about 1998 or mm -hmm. 1995. So overall, we do not forecast anything. We're reactive, we're not predictive, but the, back to the uh, inflection point of November 2017 and the change in the, in the VIX market right, right, yeah. for different reasons, we, we, we do think that we're on the way to a significant change of environment uh, over the next few months or few years. And I really do think that midterm systematic traders, uh, trend followers, right. multi-directional right. approach, and so on, will uh, mean revert in terms of uh, historical returns uh, mm -hmm. generation versus those years where basically the, the job of the CTA or trend followers have been in a way taken by the Fed. We've been observing that mm -hmm. socialization of, of the risk and there was no more tail risk being able to develop due to yeah. the fact that they were a wall of money right. being able to uh, engineer that very long-term rally and that recovery in the economy that had been doing very well for uh, 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 most of the world. But the, the, the protection role and the ability to generate uh, uh, decorrelated returns by CTA and trend following seems promising with higher probability than uh, than than a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, I agree uh, certainly on those points. And and the risk that I see in 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 a sense is really the risk that clients end up giving up on the strategies that will give them the protection um, because they haven't needed them. When you read some of the news uh, letters coming out, uh, even from some very very large shops, you know the the quote-unquote underperformance or, or, or lower performance than normal uh, from some systematic strategies uh, are causing investors to become a bit impatient. And I'm sure it's the same just before the tech bubble, uh, when once everyone got invested in inequities and there are no more people to, to continue, that's when these things happen. And it does seem to have some, some parallels today. But if we turn it around uh, on the other side, are there some interesting opportunities you see? You've touched upon a little bit. I mean, for our industry, I mean, do you do you feel that there is also some positives from from what is happening? Yeah, I think I think China, uh, right. China is is clearly uh, on 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 the way to open its financial markets to a non China based institution. We saw the launch of the. Uh, oil future contract uh, in denominated in yuan. Uh, and and it makes sense. I think we'll see commodity markets really, and you look at the depth and the volume of uh, Chinese commodity markets, they, they're really becoming extremely attractive, uh, even if there are some significant barriers at entry. But when you are looking at the consumption of commodities from China in 1990, it was representing 5%. And now it's uh, a bit more than 40%. Uh, so I, I really do think that at the same time, you see uh, Japan over the same period went down from 12 to 5. 
also Europe decline, US mm-hmm. decline. So I think that there's redistribution mm-hmm. of of uh, of uh, economic growth, but which is now validated by financial markets, and we we do hope that those markets will open because in terms of opportunities, sure. that could be absolutely a, a, a phenomenal for yeah. for for most yeah. of us. We all like that. Yeah, we all like that. Do you have anything more on the strategy, Moritz, that you want to? No, I think we're good. I really enjoyed that. Um, thanks for all the background and the detailed information about the two programs that you run. Yeah, It's been great. Yeah. Now, I want to go and talk a little bit about, so, I mean, you've been around for a long time, and, and I think it's always interesting to try and summarize some of these experiences that, uh, that we all collect as being practitioners uh, in our industry. So... So if you think back over the the many years you've been doing it, I mean, are there certain things that you would say have stood out to you as as sort of the key, so some key principles that you, you know, like if, you know, for your kids, for example, that you would pass on to say, and they, you know, if, you know, in your life ahead of you, these are some of the things that you should consider or um, bear in mind. Is there something that stands out to you from from your career? Uh, well, uh, absolutely, but now we turn a bit more f- philosophical. Well, that's fine. I mean, there's, there's, we deep on yeah, the we're, we're deep. We go, we go deep again. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I really think that the quality of the individuals mm. you have the the chance to meet, uh, to work with, and therefore the importance of uh, nurturing those relationships, mm. your team, your investors, your partners. I think. Uh, so it's it's a long and beautiful uh, story. On a daily basis, I think it's all about habits that create processes that help you to stick with a very disciplined approach. So from very idiosyncratic aspect of our job, such as uh, uh, signal implementation, uh, risk monitoring, mm-hmm. but uh, speaking about life and about our children, it's really being able to wake up every morning and uh, thinking positively about what you could achieve. And that seems very obvious, but it's all about your mindset and your mindset will start by uh, some routine and mm-hmm. those daily routine, I think, uh, help you to stay uh cold-minded in, in, in moments where you are getting challenged. And mm-hmm. I think that the markets are of, a, of an amazing ability to uh, humble you uh, all the way. Yeah, no, no, that that's uh, very true. So, I mean, you meet a lot of investors looking at you and, and, and from this industry. And uh, I certainly felt through through my career that a lot of investors were asking the same questions. And I remember once you know, in the old days when you had these templates of due diligence questionnaires and you could, you know, basically you could see all their questions coming from from that source. So I've always been curious to find out what my guests feel are the questions that investors should really be asking. What are they, you know, what are they missing out in terms of, of, of trying to understand perhaps better what we do as an industry, which hopefully will also allow them to hold on to these strategies during the times where maybe less informed investors would pull the plug, so to speak? I mean, what are the what are the questions that you 
think investors are missing as part of their general due diligence? Not saying all of them, but 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 perhaps most of them. I think in in our industry, uh, in our part of the industry, systematic trading, most of us are trading uh, listed instruments. The room for error, the room for fraud, the room for misunderstanding has been uh, uh, really uh, quite well mitigated. It's, it's very minimal uh, mm-hmm. compared with all uh, uh, non-listed, illiquid type of structure. I think also the regulators have played a big role and a very positive role to protect consumer and investors since 2008. And True. I'm thinking uh, really uh, all the, the regulators in the United States, but also in Europe, mm-hmm. uh, that have been uh, quite key about uh, making the due diligence job easier in a way. Uh, yeah. I think the, the, the frequency of audits, the audits based more on snapshots right. during the year, the uh, regular inquiry by regulatory bodies, uh, I think also are adding uh, safety nets for investors. So in terms of due diligence, from the investor to maybe, I, I would think that there are all the formal points and all the mm. formal, very uh, uh, traditional question regarding the processes, the the the, the logistic. But I think that the um, conversation with the portfolio manager mm. or the teams giving the ability to the investor to understand the nature of the product and having the best possible uh, expected behavior of that investment in the portfolio. Mm. I think that that is, it's it's more than the due date, or it's taking more a sort of a, a deep understanding of the strategy and not being purely blurred by a specific set of number mm. on a specific period. I think it's it's extremely important to have that level of, of confidence from the investor where he can expect on different type of market environment what how this investment investment mm-hmm. will behave mm-hmm. uh, in the in in the overall portfolio. So it's more an uh, an IDD mm-hmm. sort of psychological dimension that mm-hmm. purely and a due diligence right. process that I think is are becoming extremely thorough now. Yeah. And uh, thanks also to the to, to the regulatory uh, framework in place since 2008. Yeah. I mean, just wrapping up, so to speak, but I mean, you mentioned this, the advantages you've had being part of bigger organizations in launching your own firm. I was just curious, I mean, have you had any mentors, you would say, if I can call it that, through your career that uh, that has helped? Or are there any any books any any literature that you that you where you say that that really helped me evolve as as a manager that you can maybe recommend to our listeners as well sure um, besides listening to top traders unplugged of course absolutely <laughs> thank you that was my first point in <laughs> yeah, of course i'm sure it was <laughs> uh no I, I think podcasts are really uh amazing it and is, there are very uh, f- very few uh, good ones around I think also in terms of books, uh, some of the Peter Bernstein books on, on, on risk, mm-hmm. uh, Reminiscence of a Stock Operator, classic, and the story yeah. of Jesse Livermore, uh, a, a classic, absolutely. The book of uh, Andrew Lowe uh, mm-hmm. about adapting markets. I, 
I, I read a lot. Uh, I think I it's all about the, the conversation I had with uh, Moritz just uh, before the the, the con- our uh, discussion. Yeah. It's all about uh, learning and staying on the learning mm. curve. I think that's maybe also uh, the best lesson you can give to your best advice you can give to your children. Mm. Mm. I agree. Uh, because yeah. uh, I think there there's so many uh, g- good books around, so many good sources of information, so many, uh, you know, in, in terms of mentors, I didn't have the chance to be teach by uh, Paul Tudor Jones right. or, or Richard Dennis you know, Rich, or something Richard like that yeah, sure. or, you know a legendary <laughs> sure. person like this but you know through the years I had the chance to meet Ed Thorpe or mm-hmm. uh, oh, great. Jerry Parker that I think you know well sure. or these uh, gentlemen that uh, are so humble uh, with uh, very uh, deep uh, experience mm. uh, in markets and at human level that any uh, conversation with them is a uh, is an amazing opportunity. Yeah. Anything we missed that you want to bring up uh, as we come to conclusion? Uh, something you... No, I really, I really enjoyed this conversation. Very honored to be, to be your guest. Uh, thank you both of you for your uh, very uh, interesting points that, that, that you uh, gave me the opportunity to, to, to extrapolate on. I really enjoyed that that sure. moment. Thank you very much. No, absolutely. You're welcome. On that note, let's wrap up this fascinating conversation recorded live here in the famous Abbey Road Studios in London. JJ, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your thoughts and experience with Moritz and me. It is so important to have practitioners like you share these ideas because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change happens. And to all our listeners around the world, let me finish by saying that I hope you got a lot of value from today's conversation and that you enjoyed it as much as Moritz and I did for making it. And if you did... Please share these episodes with your friends and colleagues so that the conversation can continue. From me, Niels Kastrolarsen and Moritz Siebert, thanks so much for listening and we look forward to being back with you on the next episode of Top Traders Unplugged. And in the meantime, go check out all the amazing resources that you can find on the website. Thanks for listening to Top Traders Unplugged. If you feel you learned something of value from today's episode, the best way to stay updated is to go on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show so that you'll be sure to get all the new episodes as they're released. We have some amazing guests lined up for you. And to ensure our show continues to grow, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. It only takes a minute and it's the best way to show us you love the podcast. We'll see you next time on Top Traders Unplugged.